This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 17. Episode 42. This is Writing Excuses. Eight embodied episodes about disability. Fifteen minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Mary Robinette. I'm Howard. I'm Chelsea. I'm Fran. And I'm Will. You might notice that we have three special guests with us this week. Uh, We are going to be exploring eight episodes with, uh, led by Fran Wilde, about working in multiple genres across age ranges and media with disabled characters um, and how to incorporate that smoothly into your fiction. So I'd like to start by having our guests introduce themselves. I'm going to start with Fran. Hi, everybody. Um, Thanks to Writing Excuses for having me on. I'm Fran Wild. My pronouns are she, her, and I write fiction for adults, children, and teenagers. And I write nonfiction for all of those same groups as well. Um, My novels have won some nebulas and been best of NPR, um, as well as short stories have been nominated for a bunch of things. And um, I teach at Western Colorado University's MFA program for genre fiction and Vermont College of Fine Arts MFA program for writing for children and young adults. Chelsea? Hi, I'm Chelsea. I publish books with Seal Polk. I'm generally a fantasy novelist. Um, my first book won the World Fantasy Award for Best Novel, and uh, my that book starts a trilogy that is maybe, but probably not, um, Hugo finalist for Best Series. Um, I have four books published, um, and I'm hard of hearing. Okay, and Will? Hello, I am William Alexander, and... I write unrealisms for kids. Um, I'm best known for Goblin Secrets, my first novel, which uh, won the National Book Award. And um, mostly when I write about disability, I use metaphors. But on two notable occasions, I didn't. Um, And that was the anthology, a story I have in the anthology, um, Unbroken, um, which is YA. And Uncanny Magazine's um, Disabled People Destroy Science Fiction. Um, My contribution to that was later read by LeVar Burton, which is clearly the pinnacle of my career. (laughs) Well, we will all just uh, enjoy a moment of jealousy about that. (sighs) Okay, now that that's done, um, Fran, why don't you tell us a little bit about why uh, you pitched this idea to us and, and what what you think is, like, if people are only going to listen to this this brief moment in time, like, what's the thing you want people to know? And then we're going to dive in and unpack all of it. Sure. Um, well, I was talking with Dan Wells about possible topics, and this one it's very close to home. I've been talking about um, and very publicly writing about disability for um, uh, almost a decade now. And um, 
existing in the publishing world while disabled, as well as putting disabled characters on the page in ways that um, allow them to be protagonists and allow them agency. And so this is, this is something that's near and dear to me. And Will mentioned uh, disabled people destroy science fiction, but I really think that there's been a lot of work done in the industry and in, in publishing um, to bring the, um, the narrative of disability to the fore. Nicola Griffith has talked about how um, disability on the page is sort of behind the curve and bringing, making this more visible, making, um, talking about bodies in all different kinds of ways and all different points of access is, is very, very important. So I'm really pleased that so many people could be on this call and on this conversation. And I think that what we're going to do is talk about working in multiple genres and bringing disability on the page in all of those genres and age groups. We're going to talk about bodies. Um, why are they? How you do you depict them? How you work with them in as a creative uh, we're also going to talk about augmentation in various forms, how um, that can help depict characterization, how that can get in the way. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about body horror and um, what that means in the disability community. And we're probably going to get into a conversation about second person narrative choices. And I say probably because I'm definitely going to be steering it that direction. And <laughs> then, um, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, linguistics and then get back to bodies. Why? Um, as far as what happens when your character isn't, doesn't have, you know, the, the typical character setup, but is a different kind of character in a book. Um, I think I talked about why dragons are sometimes preferable, and then um, the last episode is right now um, going to be a Q&A among all of us, but we've also got some homework for everyone and some different books to read every week. So I hope you stick around because I think this is going to be um, a very good conversation and a very important conversation. I'm so glad Writing Excuses is having it. Yeah. That was so. a syllabus, not an introduction, but I love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Thank I mean, you. I prepared it so specifically for that purpose. <laughs> from Fran, Fran does teach this. <laughs> yes. um, so, one of the things that that I wanted to to start to to think about is um, I, I want us to start with the, the kind of baseline that that this is important. So, we're not going to really dive in immediately to why it's important. Um, we're just going to take it as assumed for the moment that it is important. So when we talk about disability representation in uh, different age ranges, why, it, like, what differences do you find when you tried? Are there differences in how you approach that in different age ranges? I think that's a really good question. Um, there have been a couple of recent articles, including in the School Library Journal, about um, representation in picture, picture books and how to center a disabled character in a picture book rather than using them for didactic or educational uh, reasons. And that is part of the discussion that has been happening in YA and children's literature for a very long time. Um, but it's also a, a question for um, that has been going on in adult uh, speculative fiction, especially. Um, I was on a panel 
a couple of years ago that was um, called uh, Unexpected Heroes. And the top question came up, how do you make a character unexpectedly heroic? And someone, I have no idea who said this, but they, they, what they said was memorable was, well, you just give them a disability. And I pretty much flipped the table upside down and origamied it into a shape that was um, pointed right at the speaker and said, no, that's not what we do here. But I think that's an interesting door because that, that idea of disability as a tool rather than a part of existence is something that is important across the board um, to disrupt and mm-hmm. to look at how we depict being human in a world where people are are vastly different and have different experiences and how we open the door to more of those experiences and more of those discussions on what is good representation and what is damaging representation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it looked like you had a, a thought there. I, I did have a thought. Um, and mostly it's about how writing with different ages, especially very young ages, there are dangers and of compounded infantilizations um that you just see all the time and and here here's a place where language breaks down for us because i mean what does the word infantilization even mean when mm. in the case of picture books as friend brought out we're talking about actual infants um so there's the word juvenile the word infantilize um they're pejorative um but we're also talking about actual juveniles um mm-hmm. who and particularly juvenile readers are um, don't like being condescended to <laughs> and will not stand for it. And so um, there are there are many, many layered ways to condescend all at once when talking about disability for young readers. Um, and and an ethic of respect that has to be, that has to be the first step when writing anything whatsoever for a literally juvenile audience. Um, I think, you know, based on, based on what Fran said a moment ago, the, you know, the speaker who says, you know, Oh, give the author, give the main character a disability. um, It's probably appropriate to say, you can make the main character seem heroic by giving some, giving them something difficult to overcome. But I, I, that's not the same as give them a disability. Yeah, and I was so, going to say, I wish that is what they had said. Oh, yeah. and, I'm, and I'm not suggesting that's what they meant. I'm not <laughs> suggesting that's what they meant. Um, what I'm saying here, though, is that in our heads... And I, I confess to a large measure of ableism because that's the world I grew up in. Um, in our heads, we often conflate disability with challenge. And as writers, we need to recognize that words are tools that allow us to be really specific and avoid certain kinds of problems from the word go. As you were saying about you know, uh, Will, about compounded infantilization. We need to choose our words carefully early on 
so that we don't alienate the audience, so that we don't cause injury where none was intended. There's much to unpack in the word overcome there too. Yeah. Um, Where the narrative arc of disability from an ableist point of view is to, um, to with pluck and grit, transcend and walk again through sheer and, and rather than, rather than living with a disability. Okay. Super fast. It's, I think it's worthwhile. Um, defining the social and medical model of disability like the quick 10 second version is that um the medical model is that anything anything can be fixed yeah and it is appropriate sometimes i mean you break your leg the medical model of addressing this injury is to then repair your leg um but if you if you have some sort of chronic condition that medicine cannot fix with a quick pill or a quick surgery um, that is in any way ongoing or permanent, then from the medical model, you're an embarrassment, you're unfixable, you're permanently broken. And that's a horrible place to be. Whereas Fran, you want to take the social model? Um, I I do want to address the social model. I also want to see if uh, Chelsea has a a jump in thought, um, because Ooh, we're yes. running away with the floor. Um, a little bit. I was just I was just thinking about how um, maybe this is a little bit too much and more technical, but when you're writing a story about a disabled character, one of the things that I'm always thinking about is the environment that the disabled character is in. Um, because it depends on what it is that you want to tell a story about, whether it's about being a disabled character in the world that we all kind of, you know, contend with, or if you want to visualize a world in which um, disability is treated or perceived very differently. Um, And I think that comes from interrogating the medical model of disability and the social model of disability, which I think probably we need to explain right now. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or mccrispy sandwich but you're the filet fish sandwich all day that crispy fish that savory tartar sauce that melty cheese that pillowy bun yeah you get it Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Um, Let's actually explain that after we pause for the book of the week. 
because Suspense. we're going to let this episode run long because it, it's our first one for this. But I, I do want to make sure that we get our book of the weekend. And I know that as soon as we define those two things, we will have so much more to talk about. Um, so, uh, so um, the book of the week uh, is uh, Invisible, uh, which is a series of anthologies edited by Jim C. Hines and Marianne Mohanraj. And um, there's actually a box set of it. And this ebook explores various types of um, of invisible states. A lot of it is disabilities, but it's not just disabilities. It has wonderful representation. It's lots and lots of own voices fiction. Um, the proceeds from it also uh, benefit the Carl Brandon Society. So, book it's as I said, it's a three book series. Um, there is a box set. Uh, they're short stories, so it's very low buy-in. It's got essays, it's got poetry. Um, so the we are highly recommending that you pick up a copy of at least one of the Invisible series about representations of all sorts, um, and uh, kind of read along as we go through through the next several weeks. Um, now I'll let you do your definitions. <laughs> well, can you uh, drop the social model? Um, on us and we'll go from there? Sure. That is, um, the social model uh, locates disability more in how society is constructed around it. And the best, the best metaphor I have for that, for just very quickly explaining what that means and how it might be lived is a science fictional one that I read in a blog probably 20 years ago by someone who blogged under the name of Kamikaze Wheelchair. Um, mm-hmm. and it was, I have no idea who, who they are out in the world. Um, and the blog has disappeared, but if you're listening, it was a great blog. Um, and, um, the, the metaphor is imagine that you're on Mars, um, a specifically Barsoomian sort of Mars. So all, everybody there has four arms and every door to every building in that place requires four arms to open and close. You, as you are, are fine. There's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing broken about you, but the world around you was not designed for you to move through it. And it will only reluctantly accommodate you. And you get stuck in every doorway because you don't have four arms. Um, so that tiny science fiction example um, gives you a sense of the social model of disability. There's nothing wrong with you, but the world was not made for you and would prefer not to notice you as you try to move through it. Thank you. That is a really, really good example. And it also speaks to something that I think we're going to be addressing shortly, which is sort of what aspects of disability are considered acceptable right now to discuss and what are not, um, how you interact with the world and how that is impacted by your allergies, your mobility, your ability to hear or see in, in all sorts of ways are things to consider um, when you are talking about disability, when you are writing a disabled character, this this is um, not necessarily to be confused with either plot or um, character motivation. And I think that's that goes back to the sort of the medical model of disability. Um, and one of the things that seems to happen in a lot of um, 
disability stories is, you know, the, the magical cure or this, this character overcomes something instead of just existing and going about their protaggy ways with protagonist impulses um, in ways that, that carry them through the story and address their current motivations as who they are rather than applying a disabled character goes here label to them. Um, I really want to advocate for that. And one of the things that um, I, when I, I wrote a very angry disability story a couple of years ago, and Nalo Hopkinson just let me know that she's teaching it once again in her fiction class this year, which <laughs> nice. sounds me. Um, but it is, um, it's called Clearly Lettered in a Mostly Steady Hand. And it mm-hmm. was, I have, I have written disabled characters into every story, every genre, but you don't necessarily notice they're there because they're, vi- they're busy protagging. They're busy doing things for the story, but clearly lettered was narrated by a very angry Fiji mermaid in a, um, in a cabinet of curiosities that is mostly um, drawn from a medical facility that I was in as a child when they were trying to figure out how to fix me. And that was, you know, braces and all sorts of other things. Um, and they didn't ever look at the whole of me. They just looked at the pieces of me and fixed each broken piece. And I think that that in some ways is how some of the representation that I see in fiction, when someone tries to write a disabled character, they just write this piece of the person and say, look, there is the character. And I really wanted to talk about that experience of writing um, clearly lettered and, and the pushback, people who were like, wow, that was really angry. I didn't expect to hear that from you. Or I'm so uncomfortable that you wrote that as, as a direct address with all of these second person commands to it. When I was writing a disabled a disability narrative for disabled people, the people who read that and said, that was my experience, I hear you, that I'm so used to being told what to do and pushed around and told who I am. And you put that on the page in a way that let me feel seen. And when I got that, I, I started thinking about how if we do this correctly, we can be speaking to readers with who are disabled and we can also be speaking to readers who are not disabled and combine that experience in a way that lets people understand what being seen really means rather than being cured or or being and i i you know being seen in itself is an a, an abilified term but being heard being seen is is how we talk about characters and and experiences in fiction so I'm just, I'm throwing that out there in, in a way to say this is a very naughty problem and it's not something that is easily solved with a tweet, but it's something that is solved over time with lots of different experiences brought to it. So, And that is something that we are hoping to do over the course of the next um, several episodes is give you the tools to, uh, to unknot these, these naughty questions. Um, so that brings us to our homework. Um, and for the homework this week, what I want you to think about is I want you to think about this Barsoomian model. And I want you to think about something that is completely normal to you, but a situation in which your normal becomes a disability because of the way society is structured. For instance, everyone on this podcast is wearing glasses, and that is not a disability in today's society. But 
if you drop us, uh, drop any of us nearsighted people a thousand years ago, our degree of vision becomes a problem. So, what is something about yourself that in one society is not a problem and in another society becomes an absolute problem? Think about the social model of disability. This has been writing excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. For this episode of Writing Excuses, your hosts were Will Alexander, Fran Wilde, C.L. Polk, Howard Taylor, and Mary Robinette Kowal. It was engineered by Marshall Carr Jr. and mastered by Alex Jackson. For more, check out writingexcuses.com. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like... Do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus. 